Hey, everybody. All right. Welcome back. And uh, today we're going to be talking about something that uh, you don't hear about on a lot of podcasts. It's not something people are talking about, uh, but it's something we we have to talk about. And so I brought my good friend, um, Michael Marks. He's been my friend, uh, my coach, my uh, my font of wisdom over many years. So, Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. It's always a pleasure to be here. It's uh, one of the best podcasts in the world, and I just love the way you have this open and kind spirit. Well, thank you, Michael. And uh, you know what? We're here today to talk about something uh, for many of us is kind of uncomfortable, and mm-hmm. that is mental health and suicide. Mm-hmm. And here's how this comes about. Um, a good friend of Michael and I and who's in our community and our coaching community called and they were, they were so concerned for their family member mm-hmm. because on a military base and uh, unfortunately in the military, and I do a lot of work with the military, suicidal ideation, uh, mental health, depression, PTS is much more prevalent than the rest of society. But he had had a coworker um, commit suicide mm-hmm. and it was devastating to this young man to the point where this was almost an event that pushed him into like, why am I here? Why am I living? What if I followed this guy's lead, so to speak, maybe that would be an easy way out. And thank goodness he confided in his mom and we were brought in and we immediately brought in Michael, who this is something he studied because his coaches and it's a focus uh, if you guys are, you know, through the uh, International Coaching Federation, through the community that Michael and I are in, both the Professional Christian Coaching Institute and the, the Christian Coaches Network International. If you guys are a coach, get into a community. I know we're all solo operators, but here's the thing. Coaches are often right there at the front and the, uh, where they actually can see this real time. But you know who else's is, I would argue, is, you know what, at work. Mm-hmm. We're there sitting next to our coworker, our peer. If we're a manager, we're interacting with our folks, and we're at a place where we can start to see this live. And this is where this became real to me, folks. So this is a story I don't tell a lot because this was really hard. But uh, 12 years ago, I was at a company. Uh, this was before my accident. I was mentoring a gentleman who we had just hired. I was his formal mentor and he was about four years older than me. I thought he was honestly didn't need a lot of mentoring that he just needed a little bit of help and some direction, but he was going to go do great. And and one night in my office, it was a uh, Thursday night and he is totally stressed out. Is he going to succeed? Why did he change to this industry? The work is overwhelming. There's too much to do, the expectations. And being my kind of encouraging self, I'm just like, no, dude, we got this. Like, don't worry. We're going to get through this. We'll get you on track. Let's meet next week. Well, because I, I knew the next day I had a quick meeting and then had to go to work all day outside of the office meetings. And I walk in the meeting Friday morning and something was wrong. You know, you walk into a room and you just know like something is like not just wrong, but like way off. Well, that morning, uh, this gentleman had committed suicide. And for what I could tell, I might have been one of the last people to have a conversation with him. And that's when I realized in the world that we live in, and here's the thing, suicide rates, they've gone up and up and up. And it's 
And two years ago, pre-COVID, we were everybody was talking about this crisis on mental health and, and, and suicide. It's actually gotten a little bit better through COVID, I think, because we were reaching out to each other. We were caring. We we're saying, That's hey, right. how are you? Right now, ideation, suicidal ideation, Michael just told me this. It's gone up significantly, though. People mm -hmm. are thinking about it more than they ever have. So uh, here's my layman's term, because I do this when I work with a, a leadership team. I think it's important to talk about this. If you're running a company, folks, please talk about this. Right. Here's what happens is you got this beautiful, healthy brain that God created, and there's all kinds of great stuff going on in your brain with oxytocin and, you know, mm -hmm. just all this good chemicals, right, that God has flying through your brain. And then all of a sudden what happens is we get stressed and we, we mm -hmm. produce an excess of adrenaline and cortisol and serotonin and all these things. And when they're in our system more than they're supposed to be, and that's what, what stress can do to us, mm -hmm. all of a sudden it eats away at all these good chemicals in our brain. Now this can start to produce loss of sleep and anxiety. You're not thinking straight. If that continues and your brain is still under assault, now you're in a place of depression. Mm -hmm, and right. depression can lead to suicide. And I'm not just talking about physical suicide. When you're in that place, when you are not mentally healthy, it can be the, the death of a relationship, of a marriage, of a career, of a job. And I do want to say something too, as believers, as Christians out there, think about what I just shared with you. All mm -hmm. that stress that's coming into your life and you've gotten to a place where now you're literally, your brain chemistry has changed. How do I know that? When I had my traumatic brain injury, mm -hmm. I was told that a brain injury directly changes the chemistry in your brain. It leads to severe suicide. And they um, proactively put me on an antidepressant because they knew what was happening inside my head. These are doctors. And right. So when you are, if you're listening and you're in a bad spot, right. I'm just telling you right now, it's not because you don't know how to pray. It's not because you don't know how to let God into your life. You might be in a place where you just go need to see a doctor because God wants to help you get the brain health. Like if you broke your ankle, you'd go see a doctor and get your ankle fixed, right? That's right. The problem is when you have uh, problems with your brain and brain chemistry and things that lead to that, you can't see it. That's they right. called the traumatic brain injury that I had, they call it the invisible wound because on the outside, I looked fine. People had no, no idea how hard the day-to-day -day was as I struggled through this for years. I had some great days, and even though God told me he was going to heal me, I had some really, really not difficult days, difficult weeks, difficult months, folks. Mm -hmm. um, but people were there. People were around me, people that knew what I was going through. And if they didn't, though, they cared, and they were asking the right questions. So with that, Michael, I know this is something you – have spent a lot of time and put in. I'd love to turn it over to you and, and kind of walk through what we can do to identify it in ourselves, identify it in others. And then once we realize that there might be a real problem, what do we do? How's that sound? Absolutely, John. And, you know, you keyed in on so many essential points. None of us, you know, want to be with that feeling, I could have done something. You know, and you mentioned your colleague at work and I had the last conversation and oh my goodness, 
could I have known? Could I have seen? Could I have sensed that something was going on in his life? What should I have been looking for? And so what we do, my, my nonprofit coaching suicide awareness is just try to get you to key in on that. And, um, you know, what we find is that when you're one of these folks that is really paying attention to people, you're a coach, you're a leader, you're, you're at the workplace, you know, a manager, people are looking up to you. And if they trust you, if they trust you, they're going to come for you to help. And often what's going to happen is they're sensing it with someone else and they're going to come to you and say, what do I do? Mm. And you want to be ready. Now, what made this become a passion for you, Michael? Well, that is an excellent question. I am one of the ethics leaders in the International Coaching Federation. And oh, over five years ago, I put together a presentation on suicide awareness, because when we're training coaches, we always say that, you know, if the client says suicide, you have to do something, but we never told them what to do. Mm. So we put together this presentation and it just caught wildfire. It just went rampant from there. So I actually, John, have never personally been suicidal or have anyone that I knew of, you know, close to me be suicidal, but it's just become a burning passion in my life. Now, the rest of my team, I've got about 20 people on my team. They're all much more emotionally involved with suicide. So I've never really figured out why. I'm the uh, leader of this, but not exactly emotionally attached to it from a personal experience. Yeah, but you but you know what though, uh, you can see the outcomes. I mean, yeah. uh, just an example, um, because you know once you become aware of it and you're looking for it, and we're going to be talking about how to recognize it. But I'll, I'll never forget, I was actually doing some group work with a team, Michael, mm-hmm. and one one of the symptoms is people, you know, people start to lie. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Little things just, you know, they're not they're just not thinking straight. And there was this one young man. He'd uh, formerly been a Marine and now he's Mm -hmm. in this company and he just seemed a little wired tight, like, you know, tighter than, you know, uh, is normal. Okay, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I could tell he was well liked by the people around him. And uh, you know what? And uh, I had uh, run out of toothpaste that I was actually in. I was actually in Germany, Michael. I was doing oh, some yeah. work for the military over in Germany. So this is on base. Yeah, yeah I couldn't. Yeah, it was awesome. But I couldn't go buy toothpaste on base because I'm not, you know, active duty. So I asked the group, hey, where do you, you know, where in town can you buy toothpaste? Like, I didn't know. I was in, I was in Kaiserslautern. And uh, they told me and I said, okay, I'll get some on the way home. Well, this young man, after lunch, we came back and he goes, hey, here's a tube of toothpaste. I had it in my car. I'm like, oh, wow. That, well, Okay, it wasn't open. I'm like, well, that's great. Saves me a trip. Later that afternoon, he shared with me, oh, I stopped at the PX and I bought it. And you know what? That little clue. Mm -hmm. And I'm just looking at some other body language. And I went up to him and I had the conversation. I said, man, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. No, how Mm are you really doing? And I dug in and I said, you know, hey, Bob, I got it. Can I ask you a question? And, you know, I just I need to ask you. Are you mm-hmm. thinking of killing yourself? And he just broke down crying right. right there on the spot. Now, had I not done like, you know, learn from you and others in the moment how to really recognize it. And we got him help, by the way. And today he's doing awesome. But he was 
he couldn't even have a human relationship. His stress was so bad. He was so driven to be a good, you know, member of the team. He didn't want to have a conversation. He, the only thing he could think about was the work that was not getting done that he was responsible for. And then he's like, I, it's not achievable. Mm-hmm. So therefore I'm not good enough. Therefore I can't go on. I don't see a way out. So think about yeah. that little things, but for with this, I'd love to turn it over for you and kind of walk us through what you do in some of the training with coaches. Cause it applies to all of us. Well, what you're talking about is identifying, you know, some of the symptoms and <clears throat> different trainings call them uh, red flags or the assist training, A-S-I-S-T, applied uh, intervention, suicide skills training. I highly recommend that. In a lot of communities, it's free. It's a 15-hour course. You also take, you know, a smaller course. My organization offers, you know, 30-minute and 60-minute courses. We train people to look at those symptoms. And with the one you just identified was, you know, he approached the situation with kind of this falsehood. Mm-hmm. So there's, that just says, well, maybe there's deeper than that. And the big thing that you did, John, was you asked the question. You had the courage to ask the question. QPR training question, persuade, refer, says, ask the question, save a life. And we have the stigma in our society that says you can't talk about that. And the opposite is true. Research, extensive research has shown the longer you talk about it, the less likely they are to attempt. And so this makes an intervention actually really, 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 really simple. Listen, you can do that. Everyone can do that. And coaches, you know, the ones that we focus on in our training are trained to ask good questions and then lead to an action plan. Well, in a suicide intervention, it's called a safety plan. Bring the person to safety so that they're not going to complete. And and we use in our terminology, some funky vocabulary, complete suicide and uh, attempt suicide and survive suicide if you are a family member thereof. So (laughs) forgive me if it sounds a little stilted sometimes, but uh, we always want to, of course, concentrate on the completions. So one of the things you have to recognize is, is it critical? You know, let me tell you my favorite intervention story. This Mm -hmm. guy driving across a bridge in Utah He's got his two daughters in the car. They're going to a basketball game. And there's this guy on the other side of the railing. And he's going to jump. So the guy pulls over and he says, I can't mess this up. Because one, if I do, uh, this guy could die. And two, my daughters will see it and be traumatized. And so he didn't have any training and intervention. But he went up to this guy on the other side of the railing and said, can I give you a hug? And he just waited. And, you know, according to the article that I read, it was, it was waiting a long time, but the guy eventually called back over EMTs already, you know, all around him, you know, the police and so forth. But he's there, guy crawls across the railing, gets his hug and lives another day. And actually the guy stayed with him the, the rest of the day because the EMT says, you've got a connection with him. You know, you've formed a bond, you know, stay with them because it's that first, you know, couple minutes, couple hours. I like to say 72 hours is kind of what it takes, what you were describing with the uh, adrenaline, you know, that's forcing the brain into a fight or flight action. It takes about 72 hours for that to completely dissipate and the person to come back down to 
a place where they can, you know, really think through what's going on in their life. And, you know, uh, and, and it was interesting. Um, I cannot remember. I should have looked up the episode number, but Michael, I got to interview somebody who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco and survived, which is rare. Yeah, yeah. And it was an amazing story because he, 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 it was a God story because this has never happened in the history of jumpers before, but he hit the water. He's basically very injured. And a group of Harbor seals came and kept pushing him to the surface and making sure he was on his back until they could come get him. Here's what he said though, that I'll never forget. The second I let go of the railing instantly regret, no time out, stop, rewind the clock. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And then he is, because he survived this, he started interviewing people that, um, what do you call it? Survived yeah. their suicide attempt, especially, you know, things like this. 100% of the time, as soon right. as they made that final action, that's going to lead to a completion to a, a death. It's like the brain goes, no, no, no. And you know what? We have the ability to get people to not take that step that we know they're going to regret. Yeah, I was called into a um, emergency department at midnight on a Saturday. This young fourteen-year-old girl had cut herself, and um, and I was talking to the head nurse, and she said, "You know, I asked her this question: Did you want to end your life, or did you just want to stop the pain?" And the answer is always, "I just want to stop the pain." And it's, you know, it could be physical pain, but most of the time it's emotional pain. It's depression. Depression is present in the vast majority of suicide cases. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's clinical, you know, it's more a permanent condition in their minds. And sometimes it's just really temporary. Something's shifted in their lives. So when we talk about the warning signs, you look for, is there a shift in your life? Did something change? So, you know, they lose their job, they lose their spouse, they lose esteem and status in the society, you know, maybe they got arrested, or, um, you know, something significant happens. And especially when these things happen at the same time, they don't add against each other, they multiply against each other. And it causes a, a, a steep curve, which if not, you know, held back by some form of what you're describing here when these people survived. No, I didn't want to do it. There's all kinds of things that keep us alive. Sometimes it's just a pet or a garden, but most of the time it's relationships. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about how this plays out and then what to do. So here's things I look for folks. First of all, think about this as we descend down into a place where we're not mentally healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be from post-traumatic stress or depression, but here's what's going to happen. Imagine somebody and they feel like their life is slipping away. Mm -hmm. What, what you're going to see externally is somebody that a change in behavior and, and they're going to, they're going to move into a place of being much more controlling, much more manipulative. They're, they're going to start behaving differently. Mm -hmm. Okay. The other one is uh, they're going to start talking in uh, half-truths or just convoluted communication that just like, that didn't make sense, right? So think about some of these. Here's another one is some of these people, they get into a place, remember the uh, rational 
is now irrational and the irrational mm -hmm. to them is rational. It is logical. And they see that they're on this path to maybe uh, taking their life. You know what they're gonna, they can start to do? And I've, I've seen this also, they start to discredit people around them that are starting to see the situation. They'll, they'll actually uh, maybe even set out to destroy you, your reputation, gossip about you. I mean, they can lash out because they don't want to be, you know, uh, remember, they're not they're not in a good place. So some of those people that, you know, they used to be like, oh, John was so awesome. And now he's such a jack wagon. Well, instead of, you know, I, I know the typical response. Now, mm -hmm. you know what my response is now for everybody like that, people I disagree with, even especially in politics, is not to sit here and curse them because I used to, I was really good at that or talk mm -hmm. about what a knucklehead they are. You know what I do? I stop and I pray for them. That's right. Because God really convicted me during the last political cycle as I was just sitting here talking about a certain politician up and down. It's not our president. It was somebody else. And God, and I heard God's voice saying, why are you cursing my daughter? It was a woman. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. I'm like, he's like, why are you cursing my daughter who I love? I'm like, oh boy. I mean, man, it was, <laughs> I'm like, it was like a slap upside the head. So, you know what I started doing every time that person did something or had a policy that I didn't like, I would pray for them. That's right. Here's the other thing. They just start, they withdraw, right? And you guys have heard the stuff. They get rid of their, they get rid of their things. And, you know, here's, here's the other thing to watch for though. Somebody that drifted into that jerk, you're like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, they're so difficult. And then they show up and they're happy. That's right. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, my gosh, John's back. I'm so thankful. Here's another story for you, Michael. This blew my mind when we were talking about this with the leadership team. It was a workshop I was doing with the military. It was a woman who uh, didn't even work with this coworker, but just she had been through, uh, what did you call the training? It's not still. Uh, QPR or assist or. Yeah, she'd been through the military version of that. And all of a sudden, like this was the most difficult person. Then she shows up all happy. Everybody else in the workshop was like, oh, my gosh, Mary's back. Yay. And she's like, oh, this could be a red flag. Mm -hmm. So she didn't know Mary very well. She just worked in the same area, didn't and invited her to lunch. Mm -hmm. And they're sitting there talking and Mary's all happy. And and she says she looks at God. She goes, hey, you know, at risk to, you know, can I ask you a personal question? And she said, are you thinking of killing yourself? Right. Mm -hmm. That's a question you got to ask. Now, think about the risk, right? This is a coworker in the military, you know, and the lady just starts weeping mm -hmm. because Michael, there was no, she felt like she was no longer qualified to live nor be a mother. So she had not only planned her own suicide, but she was going to take the life of her two kids before she did took her own life that weekend wow. planned. And wow. because the woman asked this question, I've stayed in touch with her, but I was blown away by somebody having the courage to go take a coworker to lunch and ask a question that literally not only saved three lives, but what's the data? If I save the life of somebody uh, well, when, when somebody does commit suicide, how many people does it impact typically? Well, dozens and dozens. indirectly, it affects 18 to 20 people that are, you know, right around you profoundly affect them, you know, friends and relatives, the EMTs that were there at the scene, 18 to 20 are profoundly affected. 
And then in a tertiary, about, you know, double that 36 people can be, you know, significantly affected just from an attempt. We're not even talking about a completion, but just attempting really upsets the mental stability of people to the point where they become dysfunctional, at least temporarily. Yeah, like our friend's son when his coworker at work, right? Um, okay, now let's just say we start to recognize some of these signs just from listening to this podcast. I encourage people to do some more research. But Michael, what do we do then? Let's just say you, you're a coworker of mine and you think John is, you know, I'm, I'm in that zip code of doing, of considering suicide. What advice do you have for the listeners on what do you do? Well, first of all, listen, and your questions are really good here. Notice um, you're not asking, you know, are you thinking of hurting yourself? That's not a really great question because people will say, no, I'd, I'd never hurt myself. I just, you know, I'm thinking of killing myself. Never, never really understood the logic there, but you ask questions. Well, they don't see it as, yeah, they don't see it. Uh, the way it was explained yeah. to me once, Michael, is, I don't see this hurting myself. I see this solving a, a really big problem. Right, right. And there's this thing going around that says, you know, suicide is a temporary solution to a, is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Uh, and I used to quote that one often. I don't like that one anymore. I have a, a friend and she is uh, blind from birth. And she, you know, says, uh, her blindness has often contributed to her depression, to her suicidal. And, and um, if she could have found a solution for it besides suicide, she would have. And so the whole idea is that a lot of people believe at the moment that their situation is untenable. They cannot find a way out of it. And there's nothing that they're going to do. And your question is, you know, what do you do to recognize that state? And you're looking for these shifts and you're asking any good question that implies, I care about you. Mm. And there's always two things, you know, that really are needed at that point in time, hope and suicide. And in the Philippines, for example, hope is a much better uh, way of approaching an intervention because, you know, most people just um, don't see beyond their economic situation, their spiritual situation. However, in the United States, I find care to be the better choice, because if you go in the way of hope and hope, the lack of hope is contributing to their depression, then, you know, saying, well, there's hope and there's tomorrow, <laughs> you're actually fueling the fire because that's what they are feeling that's causing the depression. So I care, I will be with you. You know, people have asked me, why are you here in this, you know, emergency room? You know, I, I drove 45 minutes in a snowstorm to get here because you're worth it. You are a worthwhile child. It's like you just said here, the daughter that I love. And, you know, I'm always careful to bring God in later, usually at first, you're just saying there's you, you're worth it. And I care about you. You know, if you start to have that conversation and 
I've actually in the one, you know, that this young man in Germany, right. It led to him sharing with me and I was able to go get him help. Right. I talked to his supervisor and we got him over to the clinic. What would you do if you like people don't maybe engage in that conversation? You're really worried about them. What do you do? What do you do kind of next? Like, let's say you have some of these conversations, they don't engage with it. Could right. It, Cause sometimes you're like, okay, I, you know, I don't want to overstep my bounds. I don't want to be the busybody, but man, I'm still worried about John. Like all the symptoms are there. What do you do then? Right. You work it out so that they understand that they are cared for. And the, um, you know, ironically, uh, there's a lady on the other side of that door. I can hear her talking. Um, she called me up and she said, my nephew is in a bad place. What do I do? I'm concerned about him taking his life. And I told her, Alice, you care for him. She said, no, that's the whole point. I just, I don't know what to do. And there's probably a dozen people that care for him. Absolutely. You can set up a care chain and be a little obnoxious and show him that everybody cares that somebody is talking to him at least once a day, several times a day until he's at that stable place and ask how you can help. And he'll probably say, you know, leave me alone. But, you know, in my opinion, what he wants to know more than anything else is that he's a valued human being. Like you said, other people love him and they'll, they'll miss him. You know, let me tell you an intervention story. Uh, I was eating lunch with my son, which is, <laughs> Um, irrelevant to the story, I got a phone call and um, my friend Patrick was saying, there's this guy in my garage, I'm working on my snowmobile and he's got a pistol and his name's Frank and he's going to use it. You know, what do I do? And so I, I started talking to Frank and what turned Frank around was I said, who's going to miss you? And he said, well, my nephew. And well, what about you and your nephew that you think he's going to miss you? He said, well, we go fishing every summer. You know, we you know, spend about a week on the boat. We don't catch a lot of fish, but it's, it's a really good time for him. And I think if I weren't here, he'd really miss that. Now, this guy had a wife and children and a good job and was respected in the community. But it was that event, that idea that his nephew would miss him that um, led him to giving Patrick his pistol. And, you know, Patrick texted me, we're on the way to the emergency department. It looks like it's all going to be good. Wow. So being calm, asking some questions. And here's something I would just encourage every single person to do in any kind of leadership role is find somebody that you can refer a friend to. So here's a couple ideas, right? The suicide hotline, you can give somebody the number. They have excellent counselors or something called the crisis text line. And it's not just suicide. It's cut, It's anything, cutting, abuse. They've grown crazy over COVID. We did a podcast with them a year and a half ago, but you can just Google it. Mm -hmm. But I can just be sitting on the couch next to my family member's texting with somebody about my anxiety, depression, abuse, whatever it happens to be, discrimination. Uh, they cover a whole bunch of topics. Their, their folks are really trained. After this happened with my friend 12 years ago, I made sure to just ask around and get to know 
what are the resources in my area in Denver? If it happened again, who would I, I didn't have to get to know them personally, like, you know, uh, a mental health professional, but Mm -hmm. I, I did identify two people and I had a call them, had a conversation, said, how would I refer somebody to you if this happens again at work? And they were grateful for the call. One was a Christian counselor. One was a psychologist. And so I felt really good that, you know what, if it happens again, you know, I'm not going to lay there, you know, sit there at the funeral going, you know, maybe I could have prevented this. That's right. Right. Let me give you some numbers here. There's the Nationals. Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-TALK-T-A-L-K. In other words, 8255. So 800-273-TALK. Yes. And, okay, hold the phone. Starting this summer, probably by the time you broadcast this podcast nationwide, we're going to have 988. You can remember that. Like 911, we're going to have 988. It's going nationwide and in Canada in June and July, all across North America. There's That's one... fantastic. And that connects into the suicide hotline? Yeah. Wow. It's a big deal. And I talked to one of the technicians that's setting it up. It's much more complicated than people imagine. Oh, I just pick up a phone call, 988. Well, you know, all this switching has to go around here. So what people want, it's kind of what you were referring to, is someone local. And I really don't understand this because, you know, on the other side of the nation is probably a more qualified person on the phone, but they actually like reaching out to someone local. So finding out who's local to you is really important. If you have a local suicide intervention community, you know, maybe jot that down or trusted psychologists, trusted mental health professionals, question, persuade, refer, QPR. You know, intentionally named like CPR so you can remember it. Ask some questions. Are you thinking of taking your life? Persuade them to live and then refer them to a professional. That's all you got to do. Mm-hmm. And how about your training? How do they, how do people connect with you, your website, the, and the work that you're doing personally in this area with uh, coaches and leaders? Absolutely. Yeah. My website is coaching suicide awareness, one word, coaching suicide awareness.com. And you can go on that, fill out the contact form. We'd be happy to give a presentation. We do 30, 60, 90 minute presentations, half day workshops. We also are extremely interested in networking with anyone else that offers suicide intervention, prevention, or postvention, you know, grief recovery services so that, you know, we do have more local sources as well as specific ones for military, for children, for teenagers, for women, for ADHD, and any other group, because anyone that feels marginalized feels much better about sharing their situation with someone that understands their marginalized status. Oh, well, you know, as we thank you for that, right? So a couple things are right. I'm on your website, folks. It's worth investing some time in yourself. I did after this happened, 1-800-273-TALK. And then you also, you have it here on your website, or you can text home to 741-741. And uh, just Michael, as we wrap up, thank you for doing this because 
something that was, you know, uh, a good friend of mine, her name's Laura Stack. She was on the um, podcast, just uh, it's episode uh, uh, 382. Here, let me look it up real quick. But her son committed suicide. Here's something else, though, mm. that we're seeing. This is a for mental health. His was from marijuana mm-hmm. because the mm-hmm. level of THC that we have in marijuana literally was not even available when, you know, when we were kids. They have 100%. And what they found is in the adolescent brain, it creates a psychotic break. It actually induces oh, yeah. all these things. So it's episode 383 eternalleadership.com forward slash 383. If you have kids, especially that are struggling with drugs that are using uh, pot, guess what? He started smoking weed, which was, is really strong. And then one of his friends brought a dab, you know, which is pure. And it was this crazy Mm. experience, but it changed his brain forever. And it was 18 months after the first time he dabbed that he took his life. And um, you know what there, but, we can prevent these kind of stories and and somebody like Johnny, when you're, when you're in that bad of a place and right. Uh, we, we got to get there early. So. Mm-hmm. So with that, any final thoughts or words, uh, Michael, as we, uh, as we wrap up. What I said earlier, listen, mm-hmm. the longer you listen, the less likely they are to attempt. And talk about it freely. Talk about it at the dinner table. Say, you know, hey, the neighbor down the road took his life. Mention it to your children. Let them know it's safe to talk about it. It's not forbidden. It's not a verboten type of thing. We need an open environment where people know that they can just say, hey, if I need to, I'm glad that I can trust you about my inner thoughts in these dark places that I'm going right now. Yeah, thank you for what you're doing, Michael. Um, just makes me think of another story. One of my son's teachers this year took her life. Mm-hmm. I forgot to bring that up earlier, but I saw the impact that had on my son oh, and yeah. the entire church community um, mm-hmm. in, a, in a Christian school. I'm like, how did somebody not know? That's right. You know what? Part That's of it right. is we just get busy. And mm-hmm. you know what? The connectivity. You know, the other thing that we can do is think about that one think about one or two people at work or in your life. And what if you reached out and intentionally once or twice a week did something just to get to know them a little mm-hmm. bit more. I'm not talking about having them over your house for a barbecue. Right. I mean, maybe you and- get there, but you know what, if we all put the arrows out a little bit and we all do a little bit to get to know people in our workplace a little bit more, you know what, that's, you know, not only does that just make the world a better place, but it's going to put us in a position to prevent things like this from happening. And that happened more during COVID in a lot of situations and actually brought the completion rates down. Well, let's keep bringing them down. So, all right. Thanks for all you do, man. This has been great. So guys go talk about this, right? Um, you know Keep what I would say? I would submit this is a great lunch conversation. It is. <laughs> you know what? A, you know what? You know what? You know what? Though, if you're a team, you're going to bring in somebody to talk about this, like over a right. lunch at a at an organization. It's such a great way to do it. So, mm-hmm. all right, my friends, you guys are all awesome. Uh, 
keep doing good out there. Keep knocking people alive. And uh, you know what? Go listen, go ask questions, go pay attention and go build relationships. And uh, trust me, you'll be, you'll, uh, you'll, everything will be gooder. That's right. Thank you, John. All right. Thanks, Michael. God bless.